0: Want to know how to combat crow's feet, laugh lines, jowls, and saggy skin? Reverse the signs of aging with DermaWand Pro. Join millions of people like Julie who saw a dramatic improvement with this anti-aging device. My skin is better now at age 53 than when I was 33 years old. Dermawan Pro is clinically proven to reduce the appearance of fine lines, wrinkles, and improve skin texture in minutes a day. Get 20% off Dermawand Pro when you use promo code SKIN20. That's DermaWand Pro, promo code SKIN20, and free gifts and shipping with purchase. DermaWand.com promo code SKIN20.
1: What's up, y'all? I'm Amanda Seals, and listen, I get it. We're in some serious times, so I think some of y'all forgot I'm a comic. She had them jokes. I mean, you forgot I had a whole HBO comedy special. Ivy! Ivy. You forgot I showed love to how black women give compliments. Okay, polka dots! <laughs> and some shade to how white women move in corporate America. Stop CCing all these unnecessary people on these Get it, we've been pooped up for a long time. That's why the Amanda Seals Black Outside Again Comedy Tour is coming to a city near you. Go to amandaseals.com today and get your tickets so we can laugh and learn our way through this madness together. How black am I gonna have to get?
0: Hi, my name is Aaron, and I'm Mormon, sort of. I was I was born into Mormon church, a Mormon parents in a mormon family in 2007 i served a mormon mission the lord i i I truly believed that the lord called me to preach his restored gospel to italians uh i believe that because i got a letter in the mail saying that the lord wanted me to do that so uh i came home from that mission i was sealed in the temple made made like the highest mormon covenants possible and uh and then just didn't believe it anymore and here i am is that it yeah that's uh, i feel like it's my whole life sorry didn't uh live up to your expectations (laughs) that all
1: you got (laughs) uh i'm jessa I uh, got married when I was 16. I started comedy when I was 21. I started meth when I was 22. I quit meth when I was 28, which is the same age that you quit your much lamer drug.
0: Wow. Wow. This is so... <sighs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know we were supposed to be preparing roasts <laughs> <laughs> for our intro to this podcast, but okay,
1: all right. Uh, and then I spent uh, about 10 years uh, living legit and uh, acclimating to society, and now I'm kind of letting the monster back out of the cage in moderation while uh, my new best friend here is also letting his monster out of the cage in much less moderation.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, I did also just—I was—I didn't know I had that monster. He's brand new. I just found out that he's been in this cage the whole time, and uh, man, is he excited to get out!
1: But and I am we, excited. Too. We
0: met at a uh, fest, a comedy festival uh and, and in
1: 2014 when he was still very Mormon well
0: yeah okay yes I was Ex- all on the I exterior. was already yes on the exterior absolutely absolutely and then we re-met uh in October of 2017 at that same festival and it was like suddenly we we were we met at this perfect intersection of our lives where like I was just starting, to do bad things and I needed a mentor who would uh, help me guide me through all these bad things that I wanted to do.
1: And I am the best life coach uh, for, for that specific life of sin. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. And I had decided that maybe I wanted to be a little more engaged with my fellow man is that mm-hmm. how you would describe it? I have issues with intimacy, people touching me, eye contact, uh, all of those types of things that you're very good at. Very, you're very so good, good at. so good at looking at eyes. I look
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to uh, put that on all my resumes.
1: And you, like, touch people. I do, yeah. And hug them sincerely without...
0: It was you and Gabe who taught me that I needed to uh, really be wary about like I can really upset someone by stepping into their per- like I would ask Gabe all the time I'd be like man am I are you all right are you mad at me he's like I- I'm, I'm I'm not mad at you, you're just standing kind of <laughs> close <laughs> and I'm just like I'm standing a foot away from him and he was like yeah yeah but like you just didn't announce that you were coming in that close <laughs> and so it's just been weird ever since then and I'm like okay all right but yeah I'm a, you you feel similarly about people in your space I do I just
1: don't know how to connect uh, the I word, I guess I just don't know how to I like the way that you Connect to people so easily And I am allowing uh, This new experience Where you teach me um, yeah. How to be nice and stuff
0: How to be nice and stuff Soon we'll have you Knocking on doors of strangers <laughs> Sharing the Learning good Italian. word With them Anyway, so we met at this beautiful intersection uh, of our lives and uh, it's been weird crazy magic ever since and uh, this is Mormon and the Method
1: if you
0: put a Mormon and a Method together this is what they sound like Aaron Woodall and just a Listen to them talking to Mike
1: I just didn't like the name Mormon and the meth head
0: but it was genius. It I was love
1: it now. And when I tell people and they start laughing or they're like, oh, my God, now I feel stupid. But it's it's meth head. It's um, you. D- you hate term? you
0: hate the term method. You and like I, tweaker. Yeah. You like tweaker better.
1: Yeah, well, it's just like meth head is like someone who's never actually encountered someone on meth, calls them that. Because I tried to tell someone I didn't like the word meth head, and they were like, well, it is derogatory. And I'm like, no, you don't know. (laughs) No, that's not. I don't know
0: if you guys have met any meth heads, but uh, not exactly a proud people. We don't. uh, (laughs) We're not really concerned with the terms that you use for us. (laughs) Whoa whoa, prefer, whoa, 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 whoa! That's our word.
1: Methamphetamine, <laughs> American. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you right, you didn't like it because I came up with it. That uh, was the, <laughs>
1: yeah, that's <laughs> that's probably part of it. And then I was like, maybe if I wait long enough, he'll think it was my idea. Um, no, and now I love it.
0: And you love it because
1: it just Mormon and the meth head. It well, first of all, there that's what the like. That's just what the podcast it's is. It's what the podcast is. And it's what we are. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's
0: alliterated. Who doesn't like alliteration? Yeah. Uh, you do. Does that
1: mean because it's both M's? Um, <laughs> <laughs> hold on. Can we pause this while I Google uh, alliteration? Okay, so I didn't...
0: You were like, I'm not alliterated. I know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, man. <laughs> uh. No, but you started telling people you were like, I think we're gonna start this podcast called Mormon of the Method, and every single person you told was like
1: <gasps> They immediately start laughing. I don't even tell them what it's and then I'm like, No, no, listen, listen, we're gonna like I got clean at twenty-eight and he got clean from Mormonism at twenty like we both uh a decade apart. Yeah. But. So a lot of people
0: when they when I tell them about my best friend Jessa are very, they're like, you guys, you two, you guys get along, you're best friends. And one day you and I sat down and wrote out all these similarities between us. Yeah. Because we do seem on the surface very different, but yeah, it started at 28. So yeah. at 28 when we were both, we both left uh, this weird sort of uh, community that we had been a part yeah. of. Yeah. No, it was-
1: it's like, uh, okay, so 28 uh, for me, I got clean. And I got clean a few weeks before my 28th birthday. And then that entire year was just about... I had been living outside of society for six years. uh, Which kind of you're living outside of society. I am
0: absolutely... And Mormons talk... Mormons are proud of that. We say... Uh, We live, we are in the world, but not of Of the the world, world. in (laughs) the world, but not of the world. So yeah, we lived outside of mainstream society. Absolutely. And then even bigger than that was when I I did a Mormon mission. And for two years, two, two whole years, I didn't see my family. I had two phone calls home a year. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't have access to the internet. I didn't watch movies, listen to music or television, anything. I was completely cut off. All I did was talk to Italian people about Jesus. That was it.
1: So I was cut off, um, but from different parts than... Well, a lot of those overlap because I didn't see any movies during that time. But that's you were cut off I, from
0: the part of society that had showers
1: and... <laughs> <laughs> uh, driver's licenses. So my first year, I had to get my driver's license back. I had to pay a your bunch first of, year of...
0: Your first year, clean?
1: Clean, um, first was like just two months of sleeping and nightmares cause that's how you come down off of meth. Really? Yeah. These like really, um, have you ever had the dream where you're like falling from the ceiling? Uh, where you like, wait, yeah. Yeah. You like jerk. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, it's that and it's, uh, like real ominous nightmares.
0: I was just telling you about a dream where I was falling and falling and falling and then I hit the ground and was like fine or whatever. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, and it's I was like, like in the
0: dream I was like I'm supposed to wake up before this part yeah. or die, <laughs> and instead I'm indestructible, I guess.
1: Uh, I gave um, yeah, because like your body has to. I think you deplete all of uh, a bunch of shit that's good. What's that shit called that makes you feel good? Endorphins. Endorphins. You deplete all that. They say that love, uh, so <laughs> connection, the human beings. They say that it takes a full year to feel happiness after you get clean. Really? That was not my experience. I'm pretty happy all the time.
0: Whoa, no, I actually would love to compare that to my It was leaving leaving Mormonism was rough and hard. Really? No, one, I mean all right, people have different experiences. I should only speak to my own, but I do think that I know several people that I mean uh I think Mormons Mormons, and this is where they get kind of culty. Uh, they say lots of terrible things about people that leave the church, and they paint this picture for you your whole life. Okay, that like people leave because they 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 couldn't hack it anymore. People leave because they wanted to to sin.
1: So, they, is this internal battle in between uh, you trying to do? what you believe is right against all of the programming inside of you saying that this, you think that you're right. You think that you found the truth, but that's, yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's actually like I didn't leave. It was not fun to leave the church. I didn't run off to a life of, of sin and adultery and like have, and just have a great time, uh, blaspheming God. It was really, really sad and heartbreaking. I wanted I I wanted it to be true. I wanted all of it to be true. I thought it was my entire life and I built my entire life on it. And when I came to the point where I was like, I'm going to walk away from this, I'm saying I'm walking away from the stones upon which my entire life is built. Right. Everything. Parents relatives the school that i the the university that i went to that i got my degree from uh my family like the fact that i even like had a family that like everything every major choice i ever made was built it all on the on the lie that uh i don't want to say that i don't wanna, i really don't want to push uh there like, are people that i love that that believe that joseph smith uh was a prophet of God. So I don't want to say it's a lie, but it was Radio. all built on this idea that I no longer believed was true. And to finally say, Okay, I'm okay with letting we'll 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 pull this Jenga block out, and if everything falls down, I I'll be okay with that. Yeah. It's hard to get to that point.
1: Do you have to give up your friends?
0: I didn't i and I didn't really have to give up my family either a lot of people are way are not as lucky as me a lot there are a lot of of people out there who tell you stories about how their parents don't talk to them anymore or you know how all their relatives treat them differently I have a combination of I don't give a fuck and uh also I have I always knew my parents were gonna love me no matter what like there was never a question in my mind that uh they wouldn't still love me
1: now i think the thing that was like euphoric about leaving meth was that everything was a step up everything was this great accomplishment so um everyone's so happy for you i was missing for five years like my parents thought i was dead for a lot of it i would show up every once in a while and like rob my mom in portland
0: your parents thought maybe you were dead
1: my dad thought i was dead for years on end so I started. Holy shit! I never told you yet. Yeah. So, um, Jesse, that breaks my heart. Yeah. No, it's really sad. Like, so he does a lot of stuff now for parents of addicts.
0: Did he was Did he grieve you? Like, he grieved yeah, you as if he you were would, dead.
1: Um, he told me stories about like crying at Christmas time, just imagining me like under a like under a bridge or uh, dead or. Sometimes
0: yeah. I feel like all right. That's all right. We're uh, gonna
1: edit that out. <laughs> um so when I got I got clean I moved to Delaware but look I was so okay so I was gone for like five and a half years and all my teeth fell out and I came up with this idea for stealing someone's identity to get dentures which is like not one of my better ideas and I don't think it's that bad Um, it's a more, you have to go to more than one appointment and usually when you steal someone's identity, you you probably want to roll in and roll out, not like come back over and over again while they have time to figure out what you're doing. Hmm, Okay. So I pitched this idea to my mom and this is like, I'm already starting to get bored, I think, with the lifestyle and I'm not, and I'm like not shooting up anymore and I'm kind of like, like in hindsight, I see that I'm kind of starting to like creep out I, I love
0: you're so you're the only like a uh, recovered addict that I've ever heard tell like this version everyone else is like I wanted it so bad and I hit rock bottom and I just I couldn't my body couldn't take it anymore I was about to, like my my Kids were gonna die or something. I had to change, and Jess was like, "I just got kind of bored with meth. It really,
1: it really just wasn't was. doing
0: it for me anymore.
1: Absolutely, uh, never heard anyone else tell their experience like this because I was, like, I was so far past bottom i was shooting up then i was shooting up in my neck because i didn't have any veins left and people would like accidentally shoot it into my artery which would like just wouldn't get you high but would like just set your head on fire or i would like the worst uh you have to hold your breath while they're shooting you up in your neck i don't know if you had any of these kind of experiences in mormonism but uh this really
0: explains your whole choking fetish (laughs) 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 once you you yeah, had to hold your breath while they shot this euphoric uh, <laughs> drug. <in. laughs> and your whole. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I hadn't really connected that, but. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah. Unless I was sh- shooting up meth of my neck at 20. So then. Uh, <laughs> Then then they would like miss sometimes and I would like... You would end up with this big swollen like infection on your neck and then I figured out that you could put wet tobacco on it and it would pull the poison out. Like I just was... I've always been so industrious. I've always been such a problem solver that I was... I was hanging out at bottom for a long ass time and was just like... Killing it. Killing it. Just like I... This is fine. I learned how to eat steak without teeth. I just just was... <laughs> Like, I think a lot of people are like, where did you get steak from? Where, where, what tweaker, do you guys Uh, knock over a van of steaks? I hung out with a crew of identity thieves. So I had, this
0: was the first story you ever told. I was in the back of a, uh, of a giant (laughs) 18 passenger van and then you started telling stories about this weird, like sort of. Cult that you lived in that went to work every day at stealing identities, yeah, that was trained by the CIA. I this, do th- that's when I was like, Hold on, <laughs> wait a minute, what
1: you were because like, it started, it started with I like someone. I thought they were trained by this. C- it felt like, look, these dudes showed up into this group of tweakers, right, and just like had the DMV files and uh templates to uh Photoshop and shit. And this is in like 2000. And they just, they didn't do meth. And it's not like in the movies where you have These two guys. I don't remember how many people it was. I don't even like, I can't even honestly tell you uh, the specifics. I just remember thinking, um, because my brain writes over files a lot. I just remember being like, don't you guys think it's weird? These guys don't seem like tweakers. They don't seem like. So many people came in and out of this group that I feel like there was about 50 of us in Portland. And you had, like, different types of criminals and different types of addicts. And these dudes just showed up with this software and just taught everyone how to do this. And then, like, everyone just got away with it for a long time. It just felt like someone in the government wanted uh, us... And I say us, but I couldn't do it because I didn't have teeth. I didn't think anybody would take a check for me. Wanted us to steal identities. And so we had had cooler shit than you've probably ever had. Like, we lived... Well, we never lived had, lavish. Never if had you anything. will, we yeah. lived <laughs> lavish. Like that you guys
0: were like this original 1990s Suicide Squad. Where they're like, dude, we're so gonna take the baddest of the bad.
1: This guy gave me <laughs> a triplex, and we all just lived in this triplex. It was the like CIA gave you toilets. a triplex. No, this other dude gave me. Let me have this his house, and he rented out two apartments in the house. And then we ran out the people that that were actually paying rent because we were awful. And I just remember like I was like the the in charge of the house, and I remember I had a no cooking meth policy. And uh, it's good you got to have some rules, yeah, because it'll boundaries. blow the house up. And I'm like, let's not blow the house up, you idiots can't cook meth. And then I remember one time uh, coming up because meth smells real bad when you're cooking it. I came up to the house and there was a. Uh, because it was just a gigantic house with apartments on each level, uh, there was a incense burning in the mailbox, and I, <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> like this will <laughs>
0: this will cleanse our mailbox. This'll... I just want to bring. I just want to scare away all the collection <laughs> bills that are coming, and only call in cash from this my grandma. Isn't
1: even remotely suspicious that we just have an incense burning in the mailbox. To cover up the smell of us cooking meth. Anyway.
0: I like how some people, like, they would put a candle in the window as a secret sign to other, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you know? And you're just like, they're like look for the mailbox with incense burning, and that's how you'll know.
1: And I just felt like I was so smart. I was like, oh, nice try. <laughs> I know you guys are cooking meth, and they're like, how did you know? And I'm like, because you're burning incense outside of that.
0: Um, wait, what year? You're di- what out there just
1: di- spraying for Febreze.
0: <laughs> like it's Roundup? <laughs> um, what year did you get clean? What okay, year?
1: so I got clean. Here's what happened. Oh, so is I- it
0: like 2006? Five. 2005. Mm-hmm. So when Breaking Bad came out in 07, did you... Did yeah. you uh, love Breaking Bad or are you like sad that you weren't still on meth for like its height of popularity?
1: Okay, here we go. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Remember that thing you were telling me about uh, people with their area of expertise are annoying to watch TV <laughs> <with>? <laughs> <laughs> And so
0: you were sitting there critiquing how Walter White was making his meth or what? What
1: was the thing that you said?
0: I would. You want the joke that I, the whole thing? Yeah. Uh, I was talking about like, uh, like there was someone talking about the movie wind river, which I had seen and they were just like, well, uh, as an FBI agent, I can tell you that this never would have happened. Uh, first of all, she never would have walked in there without backup. That's, that's day one of Quantico. All right. Uh, two, if someone's going to draw their firearm, uh, you're not just gonna continue with the site inspection after that, all right? And and I was like, all right, cool, man. I don't know if you have heard of uh, fiction, but it's like, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Like, there's this one movie where there's this boy who's a wizard and uh, like he can do sp- he can talk to snakes and. He goes to this one train station in London, and he like r- runs through a brick wall, uh, and then he's on the other side. There's a wizard train, and <laughs> and we all loved it. We all liked the movie, and there was I didn't hear anyone who was like, "Uh, well, uh, as, as a bricklayer, <laughs> as a lifelong bricklayer, I can tell you that that is impossible. No one can run through. No one can push a luggage cart." <laughs> With an owl cage <laughs> through a solid brick wall, all right? And I just I just couldn't enjoy the movie after that. Uh, it's unfortunate that it happened very early on. I was down with all the other magic and spells, but I couldn't get past the bricks. Bricks are solid. I've worked with bricks. They are solid objects. You would have to be so small. Or vibrating the molecules of your body <laughs> at such a speed, <laughs> to, in order to pass through—it's just—it's just crazy.
1: Okay, I did that, but with Brett Keith. <laughs> uh, so my husband uh, also—I did meth with him. And Aww. so for the whole first season, I just wanted to like break down how this isn't like how it would go for us. And finally, he was like, yeah, you're going to have to shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's a show. And then it became obvious, like, that the show was about something other than.
0: It wasn't a documentary meth. about meth. It was.
1: Uh, I do that shit to him all the time, though, because there's a lot of like. Uh,
0: all right, but what were your problems? Were your problems with like how like Jesse and other tweakers were portrayed or were your problems with with Walter's chemistry or. The,
1: uh, the chemistry, I wanted to understand if that was uh, possible and real. Uh the, the interactions crying. with uh yeah I am crying. I had you that crying. fucking bricks are solid. Bricks are solid, man. Um this is just gonna be mostly me cackling, I think. Like every podcast I'm on.
0: Good. Makes me feel good about myself.
1: Yeah. That's nice for you. 5 p.m. emails from your boss. Surprise visits from in-laws, missing soccer
0: cleats. Lucky California knows it's easy to get thrown off schedule. Let us help you out with home delivery powered by Instacart. You can get groceries delivered in as fast as one hour, including fresh produce and fresh baked bakery items. Right now, you can save $10 when you spend $50 using promo code LUCKYCA10. Place your order at shop.luckysupermarkets.com. Lucky California, the golden state of eating.
1: So I, the year that I get clean, I go and I, um, this will also just be me trying to segue back to the story I was telling before we went on 10 tangents.
0: Like every podcast.
1: (laughs) Uh, So I, I, my dad, my mom contacts my dad who I hadn't talked to in years because my dad lives in Delaware. My mom lives in Portland where I live. Yeah. And she says, uh, Hey, so our daughter has this plan to steal teeth basically like, uh, can we, um, uh, we need to do something about that. And my dad's like, I will pay for her to get dentures. I am twenty-seven, I think, at this point. We'll pay for her to get dentures, but she's got to come out and visit me. So I got the first, the top, and then I went out to visit him at Christmas time, and I had to do all my. So here's the thing about leaving society is that I um, started using in '99, okay, and got clean in 2000, f- like. F- the month it went from 2004 to 2005. So uh, 9-11 had happened. Mm-hmm. And I had spent my whole life flying on airplanes because my parents uh, lived on opposite coasts my whole life. Broken home. Um, yes. Uh, among other things. and But I hadn't flown since 9-11 happened. So I roll up to the airport. I had missed my flight. <laughs> I roll because... <laughs> Because I was having a fake ID with my real information printed and the printer wasn't working. I still have this fake ID. Mm. So I miss my flight. So I walk in there. I have missed my flight. I give them my fake ID, which would never ha- work now because they have that blue light thing. They would have known it was fake. It okay. was my all my real information. So they have my fake ID. I look down and realize that I have a meth pipe sticking out of my bra. So I I like... Pull it out of my bra up into the sleeve of my coat and then like like slowly empty it down into the garbage can, which is like suspicious behavior at the airport, which they're looking for. Yes. So then as I'm dropping off my luggage, because it was like you had to take your suitcases behind.
0: And there were meth pipes sticking out of your luggage.
1: <laughs> and there was um, there was sc- security guys like surrounding the trash can. So I, you had just put the meth yeah. pipe in? Okay. So I ran to the bathroom and had to do all my meth. All my meth for the... Um, I had like a Stop. hit of acid. Stop. I had like a hit of acid. What did you bring
0: to the airport?
1: I think probably only like a like a teener. You know what that is? It's like I half of an n- eight ball. Half of an eight ball. Would have just been enough to keep me out of bed. Because um, I was going there for like 10 days, I think. So it would have just been enough so that I could function. I wouldn't have gotten high the whole time. So, uh... I do all my meth, and then I have an eight-hour layover in San Francisco um, because I had missed my flight. And uh, I get to Delaware, and I mostly sleep. But I I remember laughing and having fun, and I had convinced myself that I could only be happy with meth and that I could only be smart on meth. And I was having all these experiences. My dad at the time got like six years clean, and he never mentions – he was so smart. Never mentions recovery, never – we never acknowledge the fact that I've been missing for five years. Really? And my family's very they're not like bury their head in the sand type people at all. Like my family talks like about mine. everything. Yeah. But they don't uh they don't push. Like my dad was just knew exactly what I needed in that situation, which was t- for me to come to him.
0: Oh. So did he when he when you showed up and he thought and you'd been he hasn't seen you in oh, five years? Here's what happened. Does he cry? Does he is it this so I show daughter? up,
1: and I still don't understand how airports work anymore. So my whole life, my dad walked me to the. Uh, I've been flying back and forth since I was like five, mm-hmm. and so he walked you to the gate. He walked me to the gate, but it's the new world, and you can't go to the gate. So I come off the plane, and my dad's not there, and I'm like, "Oh, he was late." And I lay down and go to sleep, and I sleep at the gate because I ran out of <laughs> meth, and I sleep at the gate for like two hours, and then finally my dad, who's on the other side of security, who's already called and confirmed that I was on the plane, is like, okay, so here's the thing. My daughter, who looks like a complete hobo, by the way, uh, my daughter doesn't hasn't flown since 9-11 and doesn't know that uh, I'm not going to meet her at the gate and finally had to send someone to come get me.
0: He knew that was what was up.
1: Well after he'd stood there for a couple hours and called the air, airline and found out that I was in fact on the airplane. He mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, yeah. She's done a lot of drugs." So so my arrival was a little anticlimactic cuz he had like was already super excited to pick me up the day before, but I had missed my flight and then had that long layover. So, um I get <clears throat> I have the 10 days there with them and on the last day I said, "You know, this is the longest I've been sober." in uh years and he kind of started to get excited it felt like he kind of started to get excited to talk about recovery and he said how do you feel about that and i said i don't like i'm just feel like i'm happier than i thought i would be and uh and then he no so meanwhile he gave me money to buy christmas presents the first day that i got there and i immediately sent that to my boyfriend so that he could fedex me some dope and then i circled the mailbox for days and you know he just ripped me off but
0: did you burn any incense
1: I did not. I did not. Maybe that would have made... Your boyfriend didn't
0: actually FedEx you anything?
1: No. Boyfriend, future husband and father of my children. Did not. Did not. He just uh, used that money to buy drugs to do with another girl. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, I was involuntarily sober. At the end of that trip, as I was getting on the airplane, my dad said the words...
0: What did you give to people on Christmas, by the way?
1: (laughs) Uh, nothing. And just, what is your dad? I made them presents like I was 5. <laughs> I think my dad knew. Uh, so when I got to the airport at the end of that trip, my dad said, "Hey, if you get back there and things are stale and you find out that your life's a little stale, you're this is you're welcome here." And had he said devastating or like any of these like Words that everyone else used to describe the life that I, li- I lived, I wouldn't, it wouldn't have resonated at all. But when he said stale, that is the, if you want me to exit a reality, uh, Call just it point out to me that I've already done it. And I am like, get me out of here. So I get back, and my boyfriend had robbed my roommates, and he uh, was. Your
0: boyfriend, future husband, and future father husband of your and children. Father of my and children.
1: He's not, he wasn't uh, that. He's, a, he's great now. He's He wasn't great back I then.
0: I love like the couple that tweaks together. Yeah.
1: <laughs> freak, uh, freaks together. Uh, well, that too. So I get uh, I was back for about 10 days and was like, yeah, get me the fuck out of here. This is stale. This is definitely stale. I've done all this shit. There was pictures on the camera, the digital camera of him boning my arch enemy and, and uh, just drug drama and lying. And this is just stuff. I was like, I've done all this. I've done all this. The drugs... When I decided to quit smoking, I gave myself like a month of smoking and didn't get one good cigarette after that. Like I knew I was quitting on July 17th and I wanted every, sometimes you smoke a cigarette it just doesn't taste good and doesn't feel good, you know, and every single cigarette know. leading up to that was like shitty. And that's how it became once I was like first considered the idea of getting sober to the time I actually got sober was just like, oh, I hate all of this. And then I just mm. got back on an airplane. And went back to Delaware and started my new life, which included. How was
0: the airport the second time?
1: Uh, I was better at it, a little bit better at it. I had just gotten my bottom teeth done though, so. Uh, <laughs> so like we my had to get a new swollen.
0: license printed. Yeah, this time I have teeth.
1: I did still fly with the fake license the yeah. second time. I didn't get a driver's license till I got to Delaware. I had to pay all kinds of restitution for driving while suspended the entire time I was on meth. Uh. I had to give up all my. Like, hold on, like,
0: like had you been like issued citations? You've been pulled. Yeah, over like I would tri- just still
1: be driving without a license. Oh, it's license. not like
0: it's not like you came in and they're like, "What have you been doing the last six years?" And you were like, yeah. not driving, <laughs> taking no. a lot of
1: buses." No, they were like tickets and tickets that hadn't been paid, and okay. then I had to get right. like some weird thing on my insurance. So my insurance was like five hundred bucks a month for the first couple of years. Some like SR twenty two shit. I had uh, my first job in. Almost a decade. What was it? Uh, Quiznos? The first job, and I had rapidly gained like 50 pounds when I got sober, so I just remember like it was like fresh weight that I didn't know how to navigate, and uh, no, not Quiznos. I was a, ugh, I was a server f- at a country club, and so going from like at completely outside of society to having to serve like rich. Rich people. Ugh.
0: Did you just think about stealing their identities all day long? Like if no. I could just
1: yeah, it. I did actually. It was a long time before my brain stopped like noticing purses being left out and stuff. And I still stare at people's veins.
0: At people's veins mm-hmm. to be people like
1: people have like good veins. My brain is still like God. You could get a needle in that it's so easy. <laughs> is Mormonism like that? Do you have, no, um,
0: <laughs> I can't think of a good comparison. <laughs> no, nah, I do. I know. I do know that there were things that was more like coming back to another country, though. When I finished my mission, I mean, missionary lifestyle is so different. You have a million rules to follow. And I followed every single one of them because I was so constantly worried that I would do anything wrong and then lose the spirit and then not be able to have the spirit when I needed it, when I met that person who was chosen for me to teach the gospel. And then they would just pass right by me and then they would die and go to hell. And it, and at the end, God Jesus would be like, Christ. God would be like, Aaron, do you see that person in hell? That's your fault because uh, you didn't do your 30 minutes of exercise at 6 a.m. like you were supposed to and you fucked it up. And I'd be like, God, did you just say fucked it up? And he was like, that's... <laughs> That's what you made me do. That's how angry I am. And so I, st- I was very good, right? And so then coming back to America, uh, and not being a uh, a missionary anymore, there were weird things. Yeah, where like it took me a while to get out of those those habits. I remember also. Being- having a layover in the San Francisco airport. I flew, I flew from, uh, Milan to Frankfurt. And then we took a huge flight from Frankfurt to San Francisco. I never slept. And then we were, we were alone in the San Francisco airport and like, some missionaries are already like reading magazines like oh this oh this really bad missionary wait austin. you
1: couldn't read magazines no we could not what
0: no we could not and austin bought himself a copy of sports illustrated and i was like oh austin he was always a renegade a little rebel and <laughs> uh he like wanted to talk to me about the padres and stuff and i was like no i can't me and these three other dwees.
1: wait not the swimsuit edition just sports illustrated he <laughs> wanted to talk- Whoa! We wanted <laughs> to talk to you about a baseball team. You thought, Living- I, you
0: thought I was talking about swimsuits. No, no, I didn't. Uh,
1: but what the fuck?
0: I anyway. Me, old habits die hard. Me and these three other dweebs were like, couldn't <laughs> couldn't give up the like. We were like, we're still missionaries until we're released. And we oh. walked around the San Francisco airport trying to talk to people about Mormonism. <gasps> we were, oh. and we did we and it was awkward and terrible and i think everyone at that airport had a bad time uh imagine if we had met like a sleeping tweaker <laughs>
1: <in> the, <laughs>
0: who hadn't flown oh. since 9/11 uh, what year was that you don't want to know Mickey man that year the year that i was in uh, san francisco that was 2009 okay. that's when i came home oh, god yeah <laughs> told you i was uh, pregnant with phoenix <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, I actually remember us landing in San Francisco and the first thing that we all had to switch in our brains is that for two years, if we wanted to talk about people in public, we would do it in English. You know, we could talk about Italian people that are walking past us, uh, in English and they wouldn't know what you're saying. That's just, I mean, not like we were ever saying terrible stuff or whatever, but like that's just, that was the language we communicated in when we wanted to talk to each other. And we get back to uh, America. We land in San Francisco and we walk off the plane. We're in the airport looking around and we're just like, everyone is fat here. (laughs) Everyone is. I forgot how fat Americans are. And then there's just like there's just obese Americans turning around and looking at us like the I'm right in front of you. And we're like, oh, oh, God. Oh, God. What are we going to do? All oh, right, We speak another language. So then we just have to do all of our uh, shit in, uh, in, in so Italian. So you had to
1: speak like super good Italian to be able to uh, like manipulate people into joining oh, your religion, oh, right? Oh, oh. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. I don't think anyone's... I You do not have to speak very good Italian. No. There are a lot of missionaries that didn't. I was a fantastic though. i really proud of myself it right on now? it. No, I oh. won't. <laughs> uh, but I... I I worked really hard. At it. I really found out that I loved languages. I love learning them. And
1: um, they don't all know English? I thought people in other countries knew.
0: Uh, oh, the, the rate is, I mean, the percentage is much higher than even like Americans that speak Spanish. Everyone there speaks multiple languages. Everyone there is going to speak other European languages. And most of them, yes, speak a little English. But that is a, there's a difference. Not a enough huge to know difference. you're calling them f- f- Yeah. Yeah. You can just whisper sh- stuff about people. Yeah. You know
1: huh so i guess what uh my whole first year was about like putting uh, my monster into the cage
0: and mine's the opposite
1: and i feel like you took a little bit of a break in between leaving mormonism and when you started letting your monster out of the cage
0: correct my monster was happily in his cage for a while after I all right so leaving mormonism is not just uh I hate I'm like listen it's uh it's a little bit more complicated than getting clean <laughs> from uh methamphetamines okay it's a it's not as simple as just getting dentures and <laughs> moving home i leaving Mormonism was a years' long process for me. It took a very long time to finally accept that I didn't want to be there anymore, and it start the very first uh What's the opposite of a brick in the wall? Like the very first ch- uh, chink in the armor was at the end of my mission was prop eight happening in California, where it, for, do you remember prop eight? Yeah, when there was like they were voting on gay marriage in California, and the Mormon Church got involved, and we were getting all this news from our friends back home. We had friends who were at BYU, and by we, I mean other missionaries, and then we would talk about it, and I was like, we found out, we had friends that were volunteering uh, in call centers after classes out on BYU campus, and then call, so where they were calling California voters to urge them to vote no or yes, whichever one was the bad one. Yeah. They wanted, the, yeah. They wanted them to vote a certain way. On it, And like they were telling us these experiences like this, so great helping the Lord's work, you know, because like and they're like bishops are getting up in church and encouraging all these young Mormons to go do their duty. And me at my most Mormon, this is peak Mormon and the Mormon Aaron that will not miss exercise because he's afraid he might go to hell was like that feels r- wrong. The church doesn't get involved in politics. That's separate. There's a separation. Oh, okay. We've so ne- the Mormonism. We've I- never gotten involved in politics. Okay. You are always like they. Like I remember, like around elections and stuff, people would be, like, usually like our leaders would remind us that uh, we don't have a political affiliation, but no, we believe, really? but we believe in being active in our communities, and so we encourage everyone to go out and vote. Like they would be like, remember to vote, everyone. But also remember the Lord doesn't care. Like just vote how you want to vote. Like they would say something like this, right? And to know that our prophet was giving, was like speaking out about this one particular state and that we were, I didn't even know that we were spending money yet. I don't think I found that out until after I came home. But that was the very first thing where I was like, this doesn't feel right. And then for years, there are lots of little things that don't feel right. I went to BYU and they teach me all this stuff. In, you have to take a religion class every semester at BYU. But it was in those religion classes that I started getting a lot of questions, a lot of doubts, because they would tell me stuff about times different, different prophets, different oracles of God. You have to understand that we believe every prophet is the literal mouthpiece of God on the earth. And to find out that different prophets disagreed with each other on points of doctrine— Was like, what?
1: Is that like the Pope in Catholicism?
0: Yeah, but we Mormons were like, oh, yeah, the Pope. I mean, of course they disagree, you know, like the, you can tell, you can tell how corrupted their church is because they, they're constantly changing doctrine. Luckily for us, we've never changed doctrine except for this time and that time, and (laughs) this time and that, you know, you, you grow up and you start learning about all these instances that like don't add up with all the things that you were taught, the whitewash version you were taught as a kid. And I think a lot of people find ways to reconcile that. And I mean, I certainly did for a while where you're just like, you know, men make mistakes. God does try to speak through these prophets, but sometimes their own biases make mistakes or whatever, right. or you know what? Uh, maybe this, I remember what my, I remember, I think is my mom told me this when I, when I was younger, like a teenager. And I had a question about uh, why blacks didn't get the priesthood and until, you know, whatever date that was 70 uh, yeah whatever and my mom was like can you imagine all the persecution that our church faced which uh, we also talk about all the time uh it's like we kept these mobs kept burning down our houses and forcing us to leave because our prophet was marrying 14-year-old babysitters <laughs> and it's like let us let us exercise our religious freedom but uh she was like, "Can you imagine the persecution that we would have faced had we been allowing black people in our church since 1820? Uh, you know, wow. like, can you imagine that? America wasn't ready for that. God had to wait until America was ready, and then He gave us the revelation in 71 or whatever. That was something that I, I, that I yeah. believed. Yeah. I I was like, that makes sense. You know, God knows everything, and God is perfect, but He's got to wait on us." He's got to wait on us to be ready to to hear this stuff, you know? It's like it's like when Moses wrote the 10 com- the or he didn't he wrote a few commandments, right? or whatever, and then he breaks them because they weren't ready. Yeah. And then he goes up and gets the 10 sucky ones and he's yeah. like this <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you what the last tablet said. <laughs> all right, but it was better. It was way better. It because God because we weren't ready. So like I I believe all this stuff But eventually there just becomes more and more and more Mormons call this the shelf or ex-Mormons call this the shelf. When there's something that you don't understand that doesn't make sense, you put it on your shelf, you compartmentalize it, and you just ignore it. You're like, all right, I don't understand this, but I'm not supposed to understand everything God understands. He'll explain it to me one day. I got to have faith. You put it on your shelf. And then ex-Mormons talk about the day that their shelf breaks. When you've put so many things up on the shelf, it can't support it anymore. Oh, and then you just, pff, it just breaks and it, and then you're just, you crumble, you know, and then everything. And then there, I think people, you know, react differently to it. I took, it took me years to, uh, and I started reading things online. I read this thing called the CES letter. I read this one dude's blog who I can't remember his name, but it's not Denver snuffer that we were talking about the other yeah. day. It's some other dude, that, that was talking about how the the church was in apostasy and that like things that Joseph Smith, and this is like the, the first steps for me, that this guy was saying he still believed that the Book of Mormon was true and that Joseph Smith was a true prophet, but then since then we've fallen away from the ideal. And I was like, okay, I can get behind that because like there are things today that I don't like uh, that don't seem like God would want this, but I do have a testimony of the book of Mormon and Joseph Smith and God and stuff. So this allows me to keep all yeah. these things together. Oh, this
1: is like a, yeah, this is like what we were talking about last night with the ex Mormons that just, uh, rather than getting divorced or just opening up there. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you're just, you yeah. try and you're like dipping your, dipping your toe. In. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And, uh, my wife was pretty much on the same page, uh, as me. We, and we talked openly about all these doubts and things and uh but we didn't really talk to many other people about it when i was graduating byu it was this uh year of excommunications when you the church can excommunicate its members right mm. and it's a big deal that means you're going to hell you, all your saving saving ordinances that you've done are null and void when you get excommunicated and they, the church started excommunicating bloggers people that just had opinions that were different from the church
1: that were still active Mormons. They
0: wanted to be active Mormons. They just wanted the church to change. They were like, we, sh- we have gay friends who are killing themselves, uh, at, at alarming rates. You know, like, uh, Utah gay teens commit suicide so much. Cause anyway, and there's people that wanted to change things and wanted a more progressive church. And they got excommunicated, which to me felt, crazy that i was like why if this guy is just wrong then why 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 can't you just let him be wrong right like Mm -hmm. why does he have to go to hell for being wrong then there was a girl that i knew at byu who got excommunicated because of her role in this ordained women movement which is when women were like why don't we have the priesthood again could someone explain that to us and they were like no and they were like Uh. well what if we talked about And then, no well, can we just come to this one priesthood meeting? No. Okay, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you, we'll put it on TV. We will, you can stream it online, but you're not allowed inside. Weird stuff, right? They excommunicated all these women. that were part of that. And then this girl who started Young Mormon Feminist at BYU, who was also in that ordained women mm. group, she got excommunicated. And like I knew her personally. So this was weighing on me. The church started releasing these essays on their website but not telling anyone about it they were like high, burying them on their website where it just like admitted that they were lying about like the first one was about race and the priesthood and i read it while at byu and in it, it 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 says without they won't come out and say it but they put all these sentences in a row that's basically like uh no we don't have a reason uh for why the blacks didn't get the priesthood we will say that Brigham Young was racist.
1: Wow. But
0: then you you would have to connect it. But I was like, essentially they're saying like racism is the reason, right? Right. And I freaked out that I remember coming into my professor's office. I was his TA. And this was the first time I met Kevin Johnston, who's such a piece of shit. And I've hated him (laughs) ever since. Just the dumbest ass. Goddamn Kevin. Kevin. Uh, and I'd never met this kid before. And I'm like, guys, have you seen this essay? Have you seen this essay? They are saying that Brigham Young is racist. Like they have these quotes that Brigham Young said. And that's the reason why. And Kevin is just like, uh, and this is emblematic of all mormons reactions to these essays for a long time he was just like uh well you know the prophets had a reason i was like no 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 they address that in the essay and they say that there is no reason he's like well you know i once read a story about the prophet's son who he wrote a book and like shut up i've read that have you read this essay well no then i was like then kevin don't talk anymore (laughs) in this conversation (laughs) until you're up to speed And then I just shut him up. And it's weird that we never became friends after that. Uh, But like Mormons wouldn't... They would still... I don't know. There's really several of these essays. Why? And they were all, Why? Because people were Googling stuff. Google oh. was now a big thing. And a lot of Mormons are leaving the So they the had to
1: have propaganda that had enough truth in it. Yes. Okay.
0: Yes. But they also weren't saying, like, you couldn't find these articles. You had to dig through this website. Because, because then
1: my parents would be like... What a dork we're pa- you were. You were just going through the, <laughs> the LDS this, website. This was my life, though. I wanted to know. <laughs> Damn. All right, here was a big one. All right.
0: When I was a missionary in Italy, the one of the very first persons I ever taught was a man named Stefano who lived in Boston for like 17 years, and so he spoke perfect English with a Boston accent, and I loved it. And we taught him... A lot of lessons and things are great he really loved us and then one day he like had all this stuff that he'd printed off of uh, Satan's playground aka the World Wide <laughs> Web and
1: please you really called it that no one okay, called God. it that
0: God. but essentially we yeah we called it that I feel like my dad <laughs> would have called it that and there was all this anti-Mormon propaganda anti mormon had a picture of Joseph Smith with his head face down in a hat, and inside the hat was a rock, and he was using this seer stone, this rock, to translate the Book of Mormon, which is not what happened. Okay, I, I've been taught my entire life like how this happened. He had golden plates that he dug up out of the ground that an angel showed him where they were. You're like, yeah, no, yeah, oh, but- that
1: rock thing sounds real crazy. <laughs> I like how you're like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> doesn't say anything about the magical tablets.
0: Right? Anyway, and he <laughs> sat there, and he there was a curtain between him and Martin Harris or Oliver Cowdery or whoever it was, and he would read this Nephite language, and, and the Holy Ghost would tell him what it meant in English, and he would tell, and then the other guy would write it down that's how the book of Mormon was written. Ooh, so wow. we told Stefano like, no, this isn't true. This is anti Mormon stuff. This, the devil hates our church. He wants to destroy it. So he inspires a lot of people to write lies about it. And then we, he was like, I really want you guys to read this stuff. And me and Derek took this home to our apartment. And we, we put that picture of Joseph staring into the hat on a dartboard and we threw darts at it. Cause we were so angry that we had lost Stefano to, to Satan uh-huh. uh, because of these awful lies. Now, fast forward, I don't know how many years, the church releases an essay about the seer stone. You had which, never
1: heard of the seer stone before, or did you know that it was a, a lie from Satan?
0: I knew. All right. It's complicated, and I don't want to waste too okay. much time getting into it, but I, I never... I knew without a doubt that this, that he did not use a seer stone in a hat to translate the book of Mormon until the Mormon church was like, yeah, so Joseph, he used this, this seer stone in a hat, uh, to translate the book of Mormon. Get this, Jessa. They have a picture in the article of the stone. Because they have the stone, they have—they still have it. They have it in their archives or wherever their lockbox. They keep—they have this stone, and they never talk about it. And in fact, they told me my whole life that anyone else who talked about it was anti-Mormon prop. They just lied to me my whole life. They just said that they—they have paintings. They have paintings in all of their buildings of Joseph looking at these gold plates. And then in this essay, say it never happened. And then I want to talk to every Mormon that I know about this, and no one knows what I'm talking about. They've not heard of these essays. they have
1: they don't read the website right
0: well they're like well they don't they don't have these same questions i guess they're like uh well aaron you can't trust things that you read on the internet and i'm like this is the church's website and they're like well i haven't heard about it and i'm like i i know And doesn't isn't that crazy that you haven't heard about it and they're like well i just don't i tried to get my parents to read it i asked them i was like please read it and they were like "Mm, i don't think so and i was like and I had to stress to them, it was on the church's website. I had to email them links to it. And my dad basically just said, well, you know, I just don't worry about this kind of stuff. I don't think I really need to read it. And Ooh. I was so all these things happened. And then when I was 28, they, me and my wife, we had a kid and we were trying really hard to be Mormon. We, we had moved to Salt Lake City. We thought... Now that we're out of Provo, maybe we'll have a more liberal ward, and it'll be easier. And we were trying to go. We were friends with this this gay guy named Christian. who I was just like, well, if Christian is, hasn't left the Mormon church yet.
1: Did he know he was gay? Oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Gay? He was
0: openly gay and was just going to deny himself his, these, for the, just, I don't know forever and I was just like fuck man can't you just leave so that I can feel uh, (laughs) justified in leaving the whole time I'm like if I if he hasn't left yet well then what's my excuse but we we did all these things to stay and then one day when I was 28 they came out with this weird policy which they had tried to sneak into an updated version of the manual without announcing but somebody on the inside like took pictures of it and leaked it right and it was weird policy about the children of gay parents. If one of your parents is gay and living like it, it, with another gay pers- partner, if they're actively gay, which sounds weird to say. I know this. Yeah. You just got to get behind Mormon yeah. terminology here. <laughs> if you're actively gay if one and your kid wants to join the Mer- Mormon church, they can't unless until they denounce you and your lifestyle. <gasps> yeah. And me and my wife were like, why the hell are we trying so hard to stay in this organization that we do not like and do not agree with? And that, I don't know if that was the day our shelves broke, but it, cause it didn't feel like breaking. It just felt like, I felt like I had known I had smoked a month's worth of stale Mormon (laughs) cigarettes. Yeah. And it just, and I knew that it was time to leave and I was just holding on, holding on. There's this quote from from Holland, I think it is, who talks about like, if you want to leave the church, you're going to have to crawl under, over, around the Book of Mormon. Like you're going to have to, you would have to drag me out of this church. And I did feel like I was dragged. I felt like I was holding on to, to the Book of Mormon with my fingernails. I was trying so hard to stay Mormon. And then one day I was just like, I just l- released. I just let go. I was like, "This isn't worth it. I don't want to be here anymore." And right at soon after that, my wife was like, "Yeah, I don't want to be here anymore either." And I was like, "In the church?" And she's like, <laughs> she was like, no." In this, <laughs> in this marriage. I, uh, and so that's we'll say that for another podcast. Yeah, but that could that be was, the next one. That could uh, be the next chapter podcast.
1: two divorce.
0: Chapter two divorce. <laughs> but like, uh, that was the that was the start of me entering into the new world, the real world.
1: Into society.
0: Yeah. I said it, but like instead of, uh, getting a driver's license, you know, I had to, I had to watch a bunch of R rated movies. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, I've never, I've never seen heat. I have, I've always wanted to watch heat. I can't wait. Now that, now that I've renounced Mormonism, Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch man on fire. All my, all my friends in high school loved man on, this is the, this is the pointing thing movies that like i i would have loved in high school like when i finally got around to watching man on fire i was like oh you guys are idiots
1: <laughs> this movie's bad i've never even heard of that movie
0: you were probably on meth at yeah, the time i love that denzel episode. washington on a one man rampage to save dakota fanning oh death is death is his is his paintbrush and this is his masterpiece
1: oof oh. oof <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sounds terrible. Um, I, yeah, mine, mine was about trying to have fun doing normal people things, um, learning how to do.
0: God, you should have, you should have hung out with some Mormons. Mormons who have to spend an entire lifetime not, never getting drunk, <laughs> they come up with the most inventive, creative, and immature things to do for fun.
1: I did do a five-year stint in Christianity, so I relate to some of this, including the process of leaving. I mean, on a smaller scale, obviously, but I was very, very, very Christian mm-hmm. for years. And uh, and I'm just smarter than you, so I like came to the conclusion <laughs> no. quicker that uh, that's, this is not true. That's the
0: saddest thing, that it really makes me feel differently about myself, where this uh, this whole time I thought I was so smart and I thought I was such a critical thinker and I've always viewed myself as such a skeptic. And then I look back on things that never once seemed weird to me. And I'm like, that's a giant red flag, man. How did you never see that? Yeah. And I think the brain just wants to protect itself and its belief system and it puts up blinders.
1: Well, I think getting indoctrinated as a kid too, but like for me it was that it wasn't magic. It was like, well, I came here cause I thought you guys had magic here and this is actually just a bunch of bullshit. Um, like this is actually just a bunch of rules, which aren't really my jam. I came here for the magic.
0: One day will you, not today, but I need to, I have one. There's this one experience that I don't know what to do with because I was there and I it happened. And it was, it wasn't a miracle, but it was miraculous. It was magical. It was yeah. a magical moment. That at the time I felt was like, was so, I've see, I'm even, I'm hesitant to talk about it. I've never talked about it with anyone because it felt too sacred to share. And now that I don't, that I have, I have a million of these little things. This is clearly the biggest one. I have a million of these things that happened to me while I was Mormon that I don't know what to do with do now with, that yeah. I can't reconcile. Cause I'm like, that was true. Right. That was, that was powerful. I yeah. felt that, but it's not anymore. I don't no. know. Uh, yeah, I have theories on it. I
1: think we're out of time, but um Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely get
0: into uh I so think we should do a twenty eight part two because we Nah, the, every every other episode will be the part because the rest. I wanted to be like, here is the story of how I came out of this stuff. But yeah, because like, every I do think other the episode will be about that.
1: Uh, yeah, because when I tell people about it, I'm like, so like my first year, I was learning how to like chew with dentures and like how to talk to normal people, and he was like, I was learning how to have fun without drinking a beer, and you were learning how to drink beer. Yeah, so I think, yeah, it'll be every other.
0: Yeah. But man, did you have no idea the first the first times that I got like drunk or high and I realized that like I was still just me and like still totally in control of myself, just a little bit happier. I was like, oh my God. It's I mean, the idea that I had in my head about people who drank, I remember just feeling uncomfortable at friends' houses if their parents were drinking at dinner. What? And I, yeah, man, I was just like. I can't believe they would drink in front of their children. Like, oh, I would feel bad for this family. I would wow. feel like I don't feel the spirit at at Ryan's home because his dad is drinking wine with their oh uh, with their God. pasta alfredo. You know, I and then I got drunk and I realized like I'm a good person <laughs> like there's no I, I believe that if you were drinking alcohol you were under the control of that substance and that you were probably an awful dude
1: well I think that all the time because my husband and I are, are sober so our kids just don't even know what alcohol is and when I was their age like my parents were having drunken raging parties where dudes were getting creepy. Around me and stuff I remember having to like lock my bedroom door because my uncle was getting weird you know what I mean like I was so super exposed to drugs and alcohol I I took my first bong hit when I was six. (laughs) Is <laughs> that Oh my god! You just look so you were so sad for me. I was. I was <laughs> oh really, my god! He's crying. What the fuck? You the yeah, my mom justified it. My face it. like dropped. I was like, I oh, you,
0: <laughs> your childhood." Wait, but how did your mom justify
1: that she didn't? She hold was like, down "She's probably carb- not
0: going to grow up to be no, a meth addict." That she either.
1: didn't hold down the carb. You know, and like, do they still have that? The hole on um, bongs, so that you your—it's uh, called the carb. I think it was called a carb. Yeah.
0: The little hole on the side. Wait yeah.
1: So when you when you're taking a bong hit, you hold your finger down, right, so that all you're getting is the smoke from the that you're. Have you smoked out of a bong?
0: No. A a, a pipe has a hole that I put my thumb on. Yeah. A bong just has this thing in it. Okay. That well, just, so before it had
1: the. Pull. Okay, you didn't use to pull the bowl out. The bowl really? was just permanently in there. Oh my. Goodness. And it had a hole on the back of it, and so then once you were done and you were ready to to suck oxygen in, you would take your... I forgot. The removable bowls came out when I still smoked weed. So you would take your finger off and you would pull air through it. So she let me take a bong hit without putting her finger on the carb just cuz i watched them smoke weed all the time so right. i would ask about it uh one point she was selling coke
0: so ethan's about to turn 5 like yeah. uh, when like do you think i should like do you think 6 was a good age <laughs> well or? now that
1: your bong doesn't have a carb i think probably 7 <laughs> oh man oh, i didn't take my dabs fir- i didn't take my first bong hit till i was 30 that's insane I don't think I could do it now. I'd be too paranoid. All right. We're out of time. I think we're out of time.
0: Uh, yeah. Thanks. All right, guys. Thanks for being here for our first episode of Mormon and the Meth head. Uh Jess is going to go chew on some icebreakers. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to crunch into some icebreakers. And uh, we'll see you next time. If you put a Mormon and a meth head together, this is what they sound like. So read our friends, listen to them talking to Mike.